0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So as we get into the word this morning, I want to offer this with a little bit of encouragement and excitement. I see one of the most terrific opportunities for believers to to walk in the favor of God that I've ever seen available in my lifetime. So hopefully that makes a little more sense just here as we get into the Word. But in short, you know, ever since in in my life, I've never seen a greater opportunity for believers to witness, to see, and to walk in the the favor of God. And we're going to see in the, the Scripture here what makes that possible. I want to give you a few things that we're we're going to find in the Word, things that we're going to look for in the Scripture. Uh, number one, how to fight back against the devil. How to, how to fight back against the devil. Now, uh, we, we do live in a world in which we see a lot of evil activities going on. Uh, you'll, all you have to do is just, you know, turn on the local news, and somewhere between, you know, puppies for adoption at the local animal shelter and the weather you'll see a whole lot of things that are not so pleasant, and and there's just a lot of evil at work. Uh, There's something that we can do that the Scripture uh, gives us an instruction to do and how to fight back against that. Uh, Another thing that we're going to find is how to get God's favor. Now, I understand that when when I became a believer, that was as Christian as I'm ever going to get. You don't go up in grades or, or uh, qualifications or degrees in Christianity, when you are born again, that is as believer as you're ever going to be. But yet elements of the kingdom of God and, and, and the, the teachings of Jesus Christ have a greater impact on my life today than they did the moment I was born again through application and surrender to those teachings and then being applied to my life and my decision-making and my choices. What we're going to see is, is something that the scripture reveals to us in how to find God's favor. Uh, we'll find that in the Word, and we'll let the Word speak for itself there. Uh, so another thing that I want to see as we get into the Word is how to get promoted. Now, promoted is an interesting word. I mean, think about it not just in the sense of, like, the job place, where you go from being, you know, this person that's, that's kind of low-ranking to a rank-higher, to a rank-higher, to a rank-higher. I mean, that's one way to think of it, and that's a really great thing, and God's very interested in you being promoted. There's no doubt about that. But I want you to think of it as the concept of being promoted past whatever you're dealing with. I mean, if I have a situation that's troublesome or a challenge, or, or we use the word problem a lot, that I'm facing, I want to be promoted above that problem. I do not want that problem to lord over me. I want to be in charge over it. And I, I want to see promotion an active part of my life in every aspect of my living. And we'll see in the scripture uh, the keys to, to promotion in the kingdom of God uh, and, as we get into the word here. So I want to talk to you about a topic that is very taboo, especially for Texans, right? So I need you to, to commit something to me. I mean, that nobody get up and walk out. Can you, can you give that to me? I mean, now you're thinking like, oh my God, what's he about to say? This is, where's he going with this? But it's a word that is is really kind of, uh, uh, it's in the scripture, it's an important part of the believer's life, but it's a word that when we hear it or when we, we hear it used, it doesn't always provoke, uh, you know, daisies and roses and butterflies in our thinking. So the the word that I want to look at here is submission. Submission. Now, you can preach a lot of messages on submission and its place in the Bible and its purpose in the Bible, uh, and, and this message by no means is, is absolute. I mean, we could have a, a series on submission and talk about this topic for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and months, and, but I do want to talk about it today because I think that there's a really great opportunity, and it's going to require believers to take a look at submission. Uh, I want to just take a, a, a look at the dictionary just to find, you know, what, what it would mean to, to submit. Uh, so I want to start with that, submit, if you, if you look it up. Uh, first of all, you know the dictionary game, right? I mean, if you look up the word submission, what do you think you're going to find? The act of submitting, right? I mean, something like that. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help you. So sometimes you have to skip a step and just go straight to the root. So we want to look up the word submit. Submit. To defer to another's judgment, opinion, or decision. I'll give you a couple other definitions that are in there. To allow oneself to be subjected to some kind of treatment. To give over or yield the power or authority of another. Excuse me, to the power or authority of another. To give over or yield to the power or authority of another. So I want to read those three again really quickly, and I want to just talk about the definition before we even go to our first scripture. To defer to another's judgment, opinion, or decision, to allow oneself to be subjected to some kind of treatment, to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. Well, one and three are really kind of the same, right? I mean, to defer to someone's judgment, opinion, or decision is really the same as to yield to the power or authority of another. So as we look at these definitions here, I think it's pretty amazing to just ask this question. Does that describe the life of Jesus Christ? The answer is absolutely yes. I mean, when you consider Jesus who goes about his ministry saying, I do nothing on my own, I don't do anything on my own initiative, but I do what I see the Father doing, I speak what I hear him saying, what he's saying is I'm not doing this on my own authority. That means he's deferring to another authority, right? To allow oneself to be subjected to some kind of treatment. Should we sing the cross has the final word again? I mean, Jesus allowed himself to be subjected to that treatment. And the the incredible thing is is how harsh and how violent and how disturbing and, and uncomfortable, which is too light a word, that treatment was. And still he allowed himself to be subject to that. So you see something revealed to us. Now, I mean, Jesus is, is referred to in the scripture as the apostle. I mean, he's the example for every believer. In his life, by my estimation, when I read the scripture and I read this definition, his life is defined as a life of submission. So as a Christian is meant to walk out their life being modeled by Jesus Christ, and we follow in those steps and follow in that example, shouldn't our lives be defined submission. I mean, if our lives are given to the same standard that Jesus lived by, and we're called to live by that standard, washed by the blood of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit, equipped to do so, our lives should then defer to another's judgment, opinion, or decision. That means when we deal with things, when we face things, we ought to be deferring to Jesus, We ought to be deferring to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be listening to the things that God the Father is bringing into our lives through our King, through His Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, leading us and guiding us in our choices and decisions. Most of the time, we all have things that we want to do, things that would please us, things that we even think are the right thing to do, but oftentimes those things aren't necessarily what God wants us to do. So the question is, are we being like Jesus? Are we living a life of submission where we will defer to his judgment, to his opinion, to his decision over our own? If we find that we are not, we might need to revisit what it means to be a Christian. I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not calling myself out or you out or anyone. I'm simply offering this as the idea or thought of a very important foundation in Christianity. That Jesus himself lived and modeled every single moment of his life. To defer judgment, to defer opinion, to defer decision, to be willing to be subjected to a treatment that might be undesirable to our present situation or circumstance is going to require a tremendous amount of trust. Every time I've had to step out and trust God's decision, God's judgment, God's plan over my own plan, it required me to trust and know that God knows more than I know, that God loves me tremendously and unconditionally, that God loves my family. Now listen, it's a hard thing to to wrap your mind around this, but God loves my wife more than I do. I mean, that's mind blowing to say. He loves my children more than I do. Oftentimes, when I'm praying for you as the congregation, that's part of my prayer. My prayer is, Father, I know that you love them so much more than I'm capable of. And then, you know, you'll make your request. No, will you bless? Will you will you lose your peace in their life and their joy? Because I know that you. If I think I want to help in that situation, how much more do you want to bring help to that situation? And you've proven it by paying their ransom with the blood of Jesus. So submission is an important part of the believer's life. It's foundational in the believer's life. It literally is the definition of the life of Jesus Christ that we are meant to model. Now, submission does something really great and powerful. I mentioned to you before a few things that we were going to find in the Scripture. That first thing was was how to fight back against the devil. Uh, I want to give you a passage of Scripture here from the book of James. James chapter 4, I want to see verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want to just jot it down in your notes and revisit it in your own time, uh, uh, that would be fantastic as well. We're going to see something here, and this is an important thing to see because it applies to our lives. This is a really incredible instruction. Uh, I'll, I'll give you what the Scripture says, James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. So I used the words fight back earlier when we, when we talked about this, but the word there is resist, which resist literally does mean to, to push back. Resist implies, one, that there's a force against you, and two, that you are pushing back against it. Rather than be swept away by the devil with every temptation or every assault on your life, we can stand firm and resist or push back. And the way that we do that based on this passage of Scripture is by submitting to God. So I have to ask myself this question then. If submission is not an active part of my life, how in the world will I ever resist the devil? If submission is not a part of my thinking, if it's not a part of my prayer life, if it's not a part of, of my overall mentality and even personality, if I'm not given to defer to God's judgment or God's opinion or God's decision His way of doing things over my way of doing things, if I'm not given to a mentality or a lifestyle of that, based on this passage of Scripture, I will be unable to resist the devil, which means when he comes in with assault, when he comes in with temptation, I will be wept away. Pretty interesting. I mean, it makes me want to really pursue submission in my life. It makes me want to introduce this as a major portion of my prayer life. Father, Let my heart be given to submission. Let my mind be given to submission. Let your judgment, your decision, your opinion on this matter be so evident before my eyes. Let it be spoken into my ears. Let it be seen and manifest through the things that I witness. Let it be evident in your word and let it be confirmed by the witness of the congregation. Let me know what your opinion is so that I can submit to it and be equipped to resist everything that's evil. I want to be victorious. I don't want to be swept away by temptation or or by demonic assault on my life. I don't want it to touch my wife. I don't want it to touch my sons. I don't want it to touch the congregation. I don't want it to touch uh, the the call on my life to, to work in the marketplace and the businesses that I've put my hand to. I don't want that to happen. And in order for that to be resisted, I need to take on myself the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ. I need to be one who knows how to submit to defer to God's judgment over my own. So I want to look at a few passages of Scripture here. There's often situations and circumstances where submission uh, becomes a very difficult thing. And really and truly, that's really where submission exists. I mean, when everybody agrees with you, it's very easy to have a very submitted lifestyle. When the things that I want to do are the same things that God wants me to do, it really doesn't, uh, it's not a difficult thing to achieve. It doesn't cost me anything to do that because I want to do the same thing. Now, when the things that God would want me to do are different than the things that I want to do, that's really where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. That's really where submission is played out. It's very easy to live a submitted life when there's no point of disagreement. But at the point of disagreement, that's where you see submission played out. Here's a great example for you. Jesus, in his life, the model of submission, everything that he does, everything that he says, deferred to the judgment of God, the opinion of God, the direction of God, all of those things defining his life as a life of submission. And yet his call to go to the cross would be something that he would not want. It's evident in his prayer, if there's any other way, let's go that way. I mean, any other way is is pretty broad stroke, right? I mean, basically what he's saying is this is the last thing I would ever want to do. I mean, if we were making a list of things that I would want to do, and that list were, were 10 miles long, and there were billions of options on it, the cross would be the last one if there's any other way. Let's go that way. And then you have the way he closes that prayer, but, but not what I want, but what you want, their submission. I want to defer to your judgment. I want to defer to your opinion. I want to defer to your decision. It's at the point of disagreement. I don't want what God wants, but yet I will come to the conclusion that I will lay down what I want and I will take on what he wants. It's there where submission is is magnified. It's there where its effects are released into my life and released into your life. And Jesus is offered as the ultimate example that we're called to follow in. I'll give you a passage of scripture here that I think is interesting. I mean, there's a few passages. And and I mentioned before that I think Christians are in a position, the strongest position that I've ever known in my life to walk in tremendous favor with God. I want to read a couple of passages of scripture with you and I mentioned before that, you know, it might not be Texas friendly, okay? So, do me a favor, put your guns on safety, keep your hands where I can see them, and I want to read you a couple of passages of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter 2:13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or one in authority, to governors, all of these are sent by him for the the correction of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God. Romans 13, 1 and 2, every person is to submit to governing authorities. Now note that there's nothing there that says, except the IRS or except that political party, or except if that guy gets elected. But you simply see this absolute statement being made. Every person is to submit to the governing authorities. For these, (coughs) excuse me, for there is no authority except for from God. And that which exists, excuse me, is established by God. Therefore, whoever resists this authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. I mean, I don't think that you see any political party putting that on their flag or their banner. What you see here, though, is a call to believers and, and a purpose to function. Now, I got to tell you something. I'm going to, to admit something to you. When I was a young believer, I mean, I was a newly born again. And I'm devouring the word of God. And, and these passages of scripture came my way and I saw them they were a bit of an assault to to my mentality and and to even my upbringing. And I've seen all kinds of of authorities come and go. And you see it in the scripture. You'll find it in in the books of Chronicles and Kings, where you'll see good leaders and bad leaders and good leaders and bad leaders and good leaders and bad leaders. You just see this pattern. But yet the call for every single believer is to remain consistent. We don't ride the roller coaster of of godly and ungodly and godly and ungodly and godly and ungodly and godly and ungodly. We're called to function under the authority of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of heaven, which is absolutely consistent. It's the reason why John the Baptist would make this declaration as Jesus is being introduced as the Messiah, let every high point be brought low and let every low point be filled up. What you get there is something that doesn't do this high, low, high, low, high, low, but you get something that is absolutely level and steady, consistent. We're called to respect and to honor that God places people in authority for a purpose and for a reason. And I want to explain why I think this is so important for today. But I want to give you a passage of Scripture because when I was a young believer and I read this, I'd seen people get elected to office. I'd seen people abuse their positions, whether it was at city level or even in churches and things. It was very disturbing to me to see a passage of Scripture that that called me to be consistent, even in the midst of crooked dealings. But I remember praying about this and kind of asking God, what's, what's up with that? I mean, is there any loophole here, like a true Texan? Is there any way I can get around that? You know, I mean, is there any way that I can, can still fly my don't tread on me flag? And I saw something, you know, and, and when I say saw something, I don't want to make it, you know, spooky or spiritual, but I, I refer to them as, as, you know, I've only had a couple of visions in my life where I literally saw it with my eyes. Most of the time, it's an impression in your mind or your heart, you know, I mean, so when I say I saw something, it might be safer to say I thought something, but I think you get where I'm going with that. I mean, there was an awareness of something, almost like you were thinking about a movie, right? I mean, if I were to describe a movie that you've seen, you know, you would be able to kind of picture it in your mind. And as I was praying about this, I I saw something in my mind and it it was playing out before me and it was Jesus... You know, uh, standing before Pontius Pilate. And you got to understand something. Pontius Pilate is a crooked snake, man. I mean, Pontius Pilate is, is, is a crooked politician. And you can, when I say crooked politician, you probably picture someone or think of someone that you know to be a crooked politician at one time or another in, in past or present. But, but the reality is, this guy takes the cake. And so here's this, this crooked politician, and he's, he's standing there in front of Jesus, and he's, he's revealing to Jesus through this pride and this pompous spirit that, that he walks in that he has the power and the authority to have him killed or let him go. And as he's quizzing Jesus and he's putting Jesus in this position to, to, to uh, defend himself, Jesus makes a statement, and this statement's really profound. It's a statement that you'll see in John chapter 19 out of verses 11 and 12. Jesus tells Pontius, this crooked politician who has no business lording any authority over Jesus, in my opinion, but Jesus looks at him and he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. I mean, there's this understanding that, that God has placed this man in power. And he wouldn't be in this position if God weren't involved. So surely, you know, what you see here is that Jesus is not as myopic as Preston Humphreys. All Preston Humphreys would see in that position is, you snake, if my hands weren't tied, I would punch you in the face. I mean, that's, that's pretty myopic. All I see is this guy and his corruption but Jesus isn't myopic, rather he knows that God is at work here, something is happening that God is obviously aware of, and that God is bringing into existence, and that he plays a part in it in some way, shape, or form. And that's why he would give such a profound and amazing answer as, you wouldn't have any authority over me if it weren't given to you from heaven. And then, the, you know, we could stop right there, and it could just be kind of a lesson in and not being so short-sighted, and God is at work doing great things, whether you agree with those things or not, that we ought to to defer to his decision. I mean, literally, it could be, you know, class dismissed, let's pray, we're done, and let's move on. But I want to see what follows that, what follows this attitude and this mentality of submission. Not submission to, to Pontius Pilate, but submission to God. A submission to God that God has appointed you, He didn't give any approval. He didn't say, hey, I voted for you, buddy, and and I think you're doing a bang-up job. He just simply acknowledged the truth. You wouldn't be in this position without God. Then something happens there, and, and obviously we know the end of the story, and praise God for the end of the story, that Jesus would go to the cross, that he would breathe his last, that he would be buried, and that three days later he would rise up. But after this statement, something happens in the the, the seat of authority. Jesus makes the statement, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless God has given it to you, unless it's come from up above. The next line is, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. Isn't that pretty interesting? I mean, so I just want to offer this to you, that that our response when faced with corruption or faced with things we disagree with has a powerful and profound ability to influence that which we disagree with. We can influence the corruption simply by being godly and acknowledging God. We can influence the corrupt simply by doing things God's way rather than our own way. Jesus didn't start a petition. He didn't march in the town square armed to the teeth. He just simply submitted to God and said, I'll always surrender to another judgment that is above me, another decision that is above mine, another counsel. And you wouldn't have any power or authority if it weren't for him. And all of a sudden, the corrupt attempted to see to it that he was released. So I want to give you a few passages of scripture really quick here, and we'll we'll blow through these quickly. There's there's some ground to cover. That obedience isn't always submission. Right? That sounds kind of like a goofy thing, but I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture. And these passages of Scripture aren't really meant to be the emphasis of the message. They're just meant to show that obedience and submission aren't always considered the same thing, that they're different. So Hebrews 13, 17, uh, you, you're welcome to read these in your, your own time, but I want to just let you know. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey and submit. Obey and submit. It's separate. It doesn't just say Obey, and it doesn't just say submit. If they weren't separate or they weren't different, you wouldn't have both of them present. If they were one and the same, you could just say submit. If they were one and the same, you could just say obey. But you'll see here, obey and submit. Uh, Titus 3.1 includes submit and be obedient. Once again, both of these things are separate. They're different. So here's, here's how I kind of like to explain this. The difference is in the heart. And the easiest way for me to see it, besides looking at my own life, the way that I can see it play out is, you know, raising children and things like that. You can obey, you can follow the rules, you can do something, and you can resent doing it. You know, I mean, here's a goofy example. Hey, son, I need you to take the trash out. Well, the trash sits there. Hey, son, I I mentioned I need you to take the trash out. The trash sits there. Son, I need you to take the trash out. Then finally. Trash is grabbed and stomping off, and final, take the trash out. Well, so the question is, what was done there? Well, eventually, obedience. In fact, at my house, we have a little saying, slow obedience is no obedience, you know. Uh, but the obedience was there because, yeah, the trash got taken out, but was there submission to the request? Not at all. Because the submission isn't found in the action or the activity. It's found in the motive and the heart. I mean, you can do the things that God has called you to do with a horrible and resentful attitude. Jesus, and praise God, he's secure, and he's not insecure like me, because I couldn't imagine going to the cross, being insecure. Well, I hope you're all happy now. going to get what you want. And here I go. Don't you forget what I'm doing for you. But rather, his heart, his motive, and his attitude is 100% submitted. Remember, this is necessary to resist the devil. This is necessary to win. We get taught in, in churches and in Sunday schools the, the importance of obedience, and as we should, obedience is important, but as important as obedience is the attitude with which we obey. To be submissive. To defer to God's judgment, opinion, or decision. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to, to get God's favor in our lives. How to get God's favor. So the first passage of scripture is a little obscure, and, and you might need to read between the lines a little bit, but it's interesting enough, it's interesting enough, excuse me, that I wanted to include it here. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. What you see here is young adolescent Jesus. You don't see young preteen Jesus very often in the scripture, right? It's kind of like baby Jesus in a manger once a year, and the rest of the time, bearded, long hair, you know, doing miracles, Jesus, right? But here is young adolescent Jesus. So, you know, all you kiddos, listen up Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. It's speaking of Jesus, and it says, And Jesus went with them. He's talking about, the word's talking about his parents. And they went to Nazareth. And Jesus continued to submit to them, his parents. And it says, His mother treasured these things in her heart. And then Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. Let me tell you something. The last part of that is everything that any person wants. I want to keep growing in favor with God and with men. I want to keep increasing in wisdom and in stature. I mean, if I were to ask as we began this message, how many of you would like to grow in wisdom? How many of you would like to grow in stature in the community? How many of you would like to continue to grow in favor with both God and men? Basically, what that means is life just keeps getting better. Better and better and better. The key to this, based on what we see there is the attitude, the submission. He went with them. He submitted to them. And as he submitted to them, he kept growing. He kept getting wiser. He kept growing in stature. And he grew in favor with God and with men. I want to give you another passage of Scripture. Remember, how to get God's favor. First Peter chapter 2, I want to look at verses 19 and 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. This is kind of a personal uh, uh, favorite scripture of mine because of things that I've walked through. Have you ever walked through something that you really did not deserve? Maybe there was gossip or slander or accusation made and and it wasn't merited, but yet you still had to go through it. If you've ever had a situation like that, this verse is for you. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. It starts with this, and I love this because they just get their reward out of the way right up front. This finds favor. This finds favor. If for the sake uh, uh, of conscience toward God, a person submits to sorrows when suffering unjustly. Okay? It's kind of a poetic way to say it. It basically just means when you're in trouble for something that you didn't do, when you're suffering for something and you don't deserve it, This finds favor when you submit to that, when you will walk through that with with patience and with kindness, this finds favor. It goes on to say, for what credit is there when you're treated harshly for doing wrong? You endure that with patience. I mean, what, what do you get for doing that? You deserve it. It's something that you brought on yourself in that situation or that circumstance. But if you do what is right and you suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Those are the words that I underline in my Bible. This finds favor with God. When I can do something, and then if I unjustly suffer for it, this finds favor with God. I look at the situations that we're in and the things that we're enduring And where where today you could suffer for simply being a Christian, for simply having faith in the gospel, you could be written off as as a fool, you could be written off as insane, you could be identified as all kinds of undesirable things simply for being a believer. I mean, it's not like you even have to be Billy Graham these days. You can simply identify yourself as a Christian and get ready for the rocks to start being thrown your way. But if we can endure that with patience, if we cannot pick up all the rocks that are thrown at us and start throwing them back, what we'll open up the door for, and I believe it's the greatest opportunity in our lifetime, we'll open up the door for the favor of God. I would love for the favor of God to be at work in and through my life, in every aspect of my living. How I handle accusations, how I handle situations that are unjust and unfair, how I deal with those things is going to be the difference between that favor being loosed in my life and that favor being restrained or restricted. I want to give you a passage of scripture here as we, we need to move through uh, several areas of scripture here in order to come to our conclusion. But uh, the state of your heart is, is really the foundation of your ability to submit. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 5. It's this call for everyone to be submitted and everyone to live a submitted lifestyle, and it identifies how we do that. That submitted lifestyle comes by clothing yourself with humility, because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This call to to live a life where you're willing to defer to to, uh, another's judgment, another's uh, direction, another's counsel in a a godly way requires us to clothe ourselves with humility because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. When I think about clothing myself with humility, it's just an interesting concept to me. I mean, maybe it's poetic. Maybe it's just the the way they spoke in the times. and, And maybe there's something more to it. I mean, if I were writing that today, you know, just in my own mind, I would probably not say clothe yourself in humility. I'd probably just say be humble, right? Kind of just shortest distance between two places, a straight line. We just get right, hey, just be humble, you know. But yet the Word's telling us to clothe ourselves with humility. And when I think about that, it begins to, to make sense to me that, that more is being communicated than just be humble. I mean, there's a couple of things to consider. I mean, everyone in this room is dressed, hallelujah, praise God. You know, clothes are kind of funny, right? I mean, because we all celebrate the work of Jesus on the cross, right? That all of the curse is broken, you know, and I noticed that we still wear clothes, and I'm kind of okay with that, right? Clothes just kind of stuck. We started off naked in the garden, sin came in, clothes came, now sin's gone, we're keeping the clothes, right? I mean, it, we're keeping. even in heaven, it's like, here's your robe, buddy. I'm, I'm glad you're here, but put this on, you know, I mean, it, it's just a thing, but clothe yourself with humility, it, 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 everyone in this room is dressed, and you know what, that's not by accident, you intentionally got dressed, I mean, I try to make it easier, right, sometimes I don't hang my stuff back up, it's like, well, I'm going to wear that again, so I'm just going to put it right here, that's what chairs are for in your bedroom, right, you don't sit in the chairs in your bedroom, no, that's where you put your clothes, uh, so, you, you, you know, no matter how easy you try to make it for yourself, it's still an intentional act to clothe yourself, which means for me, humility is going to be intentional. I'm going to have to put it, my nature is, is not to have this on, but yet I will choose and willfully apply it. For us to be humble will be intentional. It won't be accidental. It will be intentional. And then the other idea of, of clothing myself with humility is that it's on the outside. It's external. It's, it's meant to be seen. In fact, it's meant to be seen so that other things aren't seen. I mean, the idea of clothing, you can just sit and ponder what it means to be clothed and you begin to, to gain more and more understanding of what is being spoken here when we're being called to clothe ourselves with humility. When people meet you, that needs to be what they see on the outside, I mean, I can't just be a jerk 23 hours of the day and then go and and have my time in prayer and and let myself be humble and be seen as a humble man. I need to have that be what people encounter any time that they come into uh, contact with me. It needs to be visible. It needs to be on the outside. And it needs to be intentional. So what you see here is that this this call to live a submitted life is going to require us to clothe ourselves in humility. The reason for that is God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What that tells me is one of the things that I'm going to have to be aware of is the presence of pride in my life. It's going to be hard to live a submitted life. It's going to be hard to defer to God's judgment to what he says about the matter, to what he instructs on the matter, if I've got pride in my life. I'm going to be too prone to do it my way if pride exists. So I want to look at a couple of things as it concerns pride. Pride is the ultimate submission stopper. In any situation, pride is a real challenge. So Proverbs 16:18 defines pride as this. It says pride goes before destruction, and an unsubmitted spirit or a haughty spirit goes before falling. Uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, right? I mean, these are bad things. I don't want destruction in my life. I don't want destruction in my marriage. I don't want destruction in my family, raising my children. I don't want destruction in, in my, my, my ministry or my business or any aspect of my life. I don't want failure or falling. I don't want dishonor. Proverbs 29, verse 23 pretty much sums it up when it says, a man's pride... Will bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. That humble spirit will obtain honor because that humble spirit will open up the opportunity to live a submitted life, deferring to God's judgment, God's instruction, God's counsel on the matter. So I want to give a, a few things that are, are, are I've written down here, three proofs of the presence of pride. Sometimes I don't know why, I just like using the same first letter, because it makes me feel like maybe a little doctor Susie or something like that, you know. Three proofs of the presence of pride. Proofs of the presence of pride. Uh, So so here's one. Uh, I'll I'll give you the spreading of strife. Spreading of strife. I mean, when you enter into a situation, do you quench the fire or do you fan the flames, Right? If there's drama, if there's hardship, if there's a situation that, that is, is potentially destructive, when you're introduced into that situation, do you bring a, a solution or do you add to the problem? Uh, let me give you a passage of scripture. Proverbs 28, 25. Proverbs 28, 25. A prideful man stirs up strife, but the one that submits to the Lord will prosper. Proverbs six fourteen says, one who spreads strife has perversity in his heart and will continually devise evil. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly and instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. Uh, I wouldn't sign up for that. That's pretty rough. I don't want to be one that spreads strife. It is the evidence of pride which will ultimately bring me low or bring destruction because it will prevent me from living a life like Jesus, one that submits or defers to the authority of God in the situations that I walk through. So here's another one. That is, remember, we're looking at proofs of the presence of pride. Now, there's probably more, but we have limited time. Criticism. Now, for me, you know, when I hear that, there would be kind of that ominous villain music in the background, you know, dun, 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 because this is one that, that uh, it, it really convicts me when I see this one. There are times it's very easy for me to be critical. I mean, I can turn on the news and I can see what's going on, whether it's you know political or whether it's uh, 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 you know cultural or whether it is community or whether it's church. I can see a lot of things going on today that I personally disagree with, and and it makes no difference what those things are. The problem is I see it and and I immediately. First gear for me is criticize it. That's so stupid. Why would they do that? You know, I mean, you just, you, and, and the reality is, with that being my first gear, it's going to affect my second gear and my third gear and my fourth. It just affects where I go. And I, I need to address that and deal with that, and I'm sure that's the same for many people. But criticism is a proof of the presence of pride which will prevent submission, which will lead to a life that is very difficult, if not impossible, to resist the devil to resist any evil whether it's an attack or a temptation. Jude chapter 1 verse 16. Jude 1:16 Fault-finders criticize following after their own lusts. They speak pridefully and they flatter for the sake of gaining an advantage. I mean that passage of scripture just reveals that the criticism that exists in fault-finders is rooted in pride. Those critical words are spoken pridefully. When I stand and say, that's so stupid, what I'm saying is, I'm so smart. <laughs> and, and that's a challenge. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not criticize one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. And behold, the judge is standing right outside the door. Every time I make my opinion known with such boldness and such authority, I'm standing in line to be judged myself. This is a real issue. Another uh, uh, proof of the presence of pride, this will be the third and final one as we close, self-promotion. Self-promotion. It's amazing to me that you never see Jesus promote himself. I mean, I remember as a new believer reading in the scripture and you would see that, that he would you know, perform this, this, this miracle. And when we say he performed this miracle, it makes it sound like he's some kind of magician. The reality is the same Holy Spirit that is in you operated through him to accomplish this to the glory of God. And, and that is something that is miraculous and powerful and wonderful. And when it would take place and celebration would be the result, Jesus would say, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about that. I got news for you, a lot of people didn't listen. The first thing they did is they go and tell someone. But what you're seeing there in the scripture is that Jesus is never building his own platform. He's never saying, hey, there's another one. I want you to sign the wall over there and and we're going to put your picture up there because that's my ministry uh, accomplishment wall and I really want people to, to keep count. We're keeping score here and I just want people to really pay attention. He's never building his own platform. So self-promotion is a proof of the presence of pride. Uh, you'll find this in the Gospels, Matthew twenty-three, twelve; Luke 14, 11, again in Luke 18, 14. You'll see whoever promotes himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be promoted. I mean, Jesus had no problem making this be a, a, a foundational part of his message and communication it's recorded for us multiple times uh, as a priority message to us that how we carry ourselves as it concerns promotion is really important. I mentioned before we we're going to find how to be promoted. I'd like to close with that. I'll give you a passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It's a call not to be prideful, but rather the opposite. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he may promote you when the time is right. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that he may promote you when the time is right. When I read that passage of scripture, I can't help but revisit Jesus standing before Pilate. I will stay submitted to God's judgment, to God's decision, to God's opinion on this matter, knowing that when the time is right, even if it means I'm dead and buried for three days, he'll promote me. And sure enough, at the right time, that stone rolled away, and he walked out of the grave. Now, that's a promotion. When the time was right. I think oftentimes, you know, it's not some malicious uh, agenda that we have that causes us to, to promote ourselves or to to defend ourselves, but rather it's this lack of trust that, that God will do it. It's just not the right time. I look at the things that are going on right now, and I feel this urgent need to let my voice be heard and to tell everyone how wrong this is and that is and how destructive that will be, and you better pay attention. And let me tell you something. We do need to keep our eyes open. We do need to be sober and aware of what's going on. But we also need to ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? Because the darker it gets outside, the more I can see you're about to shine your light through the church in such a way that it'll be visible to everyone, everyone in this nation, everyone around the world. I see the greatest opportunity for evangelism that has ever come upon us in our lifetimes. I believe that God is doing something when the time is right. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. It's a bit of a lengthy message there, but what I want to do is is drive home the point. The point being that as believers, we're called to live our lives like Jesus. He's the model. He's the example for each of us. And as we identify how Jesus then lived his life, I think we can come to the conclusion without any controversy that Jesus lives a life of submission. Always deferring to God's opinion to God's judgment, to God's uh, desire, his interest, his will, however you want to word it. And now that example is meant to be set before us to do the very same. As it concerns the choices we make, the decisions we make, the lifestyle that we live, our opinions, our feelings, and our thoughts are meant to not only come second, they're meant to come last. That we put God first above all else. And that as we examine what his will is, what his opinion is on the matter, what his judgment is concerning that topic, no matter how we feel or no matter what we think, with an attitude of agreement, we respond. And really and truly, the submission is in the heart. That we would come into a place where we're grateful for all that God's done on our behalf, where we know that he hasn't changed his thoughts toward us, that his unconditional love for us is as strong right here and right now in what we're facing as it's ever been, that he has our best interests in mind and that he's accomplishing something fantastic. And as we come into this mentality, we then become positioned to actually resist the evil that's in the world and not participate in it, to not condone it, to not be uh, swept away by temptation and to not be swept away by uh, uh, evil and and destructive uh, uh, attacks against our lives, but to stand firm and to be victorious. I want to pray and I want to ask God to, to introduce in our hearts and in our minds a new understanding of what it means to submit to Him so that we can truly be a people identified as those who submit to God and are equipped to resist the devil. So there where you stand, I want to pray, and I I want to pray for us collectively. You can be in a state of agreement, or, or you can just simply be in a state of receiving, but I want to trust God to do something great. Father, we bless your name, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that we have in Jesus. Let us see his example set before our eyes in such a way that we know we've been equipped with everything that we need to follow his lead to live our lives with the same mentality that we would defer to your judgment and your opinion on every matter. Let our hearts and our minds be given to submit, that we might be given to a life that is equipped to resist evil as evil would attempt to wash us away. And as we face choices and decisions, as we are are put in position to, to go left or to go right, let there be an attitude that would defer our judgment and our opinion to yours that we could come to the place where we would know and understand what you want, what pleases you and what you've called us to and that no matter how we feel or what we think we would yield to your judgment we would carry out your instruction and that we would walk in your opinion on matters and let the result be victory in every aspect of our living, that we would be protected from pride that would sweep us away to destruction and that we would be led with humble hearts into a life of submission that would be identified in this world as the life of the Christian. That we would stand out in the midst of darkness as light and that we would draw men and women and children into your kingdom through the blessing manifest through our submissive lives as we lay down our will let us take upon us your will and let us be just like Jesus. And let the results be that promised exaltation that we would continue to see your hand move in power throughout our lives, that we would continue to walk in the glory that is your kingdom, and that we would see Jesus exalted through every aspect of our living. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for all of these works that you would do on our behalf. Be glorified. As we live out our lives, surrendered to your will. We bless your name and thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.org.